helping disciple-makers ignite a movement locally and globally. This is the Disciple First Podcast. Now, here's your host, Craig Etheridge. Welcome to the Disciple First Podcast. It's a podcast by disciple-makers and for disciple-makers. And my name is Craig Etheridge, and I'm here today to pass on a message that was preached at our church at First Baptist Church, Colleyville, uh, by Michael Kelly. Michael Kelly is a director of discipleship for Lifeway Christian Resources. Michael's a great friend, grew up in West Texas. Um, Michael's a fabulous communicator and author of multiple books, including Transformational Discipleship, which is brought to you through Lifeway. And Michael really talks about what does making disciples look like in your life and in the local church. I think you're going to find some of the comments he makes quite interesting and enlightening. So I wanted to pass it on to you. So listen closely to Michael Kelly. It's certainly a pleasure to be here, and I'm so thankful for the, uh, the invitation to be able to come and open up God's Word with you this morning. It's, it's been such a joy to get to know Pastor Craig over the course of the last uh, year or so and, and become friends with him. And, and over the course of, of that time, as we've uh, had phone calls and lunch together several times. He's just shared with me all the things that the Lord is doing in your fellowship here, in this congregation. And uh, so I was really excited to be here, just to be among you and, uh, and see everything, that, everything that's happening. And of, of course, it's my joy to be able to fall in line with the current series, with the sermon series that you're in the middle of called King Jesus. It does occur to me and I think it's probably occurred to you that King is perhaps one of the titles of Jesus that we don't connect with as easily as some of the others. And maybe one of the reasons that we don't connect with that title for Jesus is because we are people on purpose without a king. You know, here in this country, we're the people that decided we didn't want a king and that having a king was dangerous and that we threw off the, you know, the shackles of having a king. We, we're the ones that wanted to get rid of the king and so we don't have one. So there's something, I think, inside of our American individualistic self-reliance that rises up a little bit even at the mention of the word king. But maybe there's another reason, too, why we don't readily connect with the title of king for Jesus. And that's because when you call someone king, there are implications associated with the title that have direct bearing on the way that you live your life. See, when you say the word king, you are acknowledging a power and an authority higher than yourself. So implicit with the title of king is a level of obedience to the decrees that the king is going to put forth. So when we say King Jesus, by implication, we are saying subjects us. And that's why this series, I think, is so important in diving into then what are the commands that the king gives to his subjects in order to carry out. 
So with each of these commands, we have an opportunity over and over and over again to either bow the knee or stand in opposition. And it's really that simple when you get down to it. It's about whether with your life you want to acknowledge the true kingship of Jesus. And we should also say that everybody is going to acknowledge the kingship of Jesus, right? This is not a question of if, it is a question of when. We know that someday everyone, whether in heaven and on earth or under the earth, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We know that this is a promise. We know that the most ardent believer or the most vehement atheist that both of those are going to bow the knee to King Jesus. It's just a question of when and how willing that knee comes to bow. So it's not a question of whether every one of us are going to acknowledge the kingship of Jesus Christ. It is a question of when we are going to acknowledge the kingship of Jesus Christ. So with that as the the background of the series, then we come to the command of King Jesus today, which is to make disciples. So you'll remember the text where we get this command. It's spoken after Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. He is on the mountain. He's about to ascend into heaven. It's found in Matthew chapter 28, and King Jesus gives us this command, it says in Matthew 28, verse 18, then Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's significant here that Jesus starts his command by saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So I have beaten back sin. I have conquered death. I have been raised to new life. I'm about to go sit down at the right hand of the Father. And the reason that I'm going to sit down is not because I'm tired. It's because I'm finished. So all authority has been given to me. So this is not a suggestion from Jesus. This is not a hint to have a better, how to have a better life. This is not a a saying or a platitude. This is a command backed by all authority in heaven and on earth. So what will the resurrected son of God and king of the cosmos tell his people to do with all the authority that has been given to him in heaven and on earth? And the command that he gives to us is to make disciples. It's not to make converts. It's not to try to get as many people to say a prayer at one point in their lives as possible. It is to make disciples. This is what Jesus commands us with all the authority he's been given on, in heaven and on earth. Make disciples. So this has big implications for us. Because what it means, among other things, for us is that if we want to be disciples, then we must also make 
disciples. So those two things are joined together forever. If we want to be disciples of Jesus, we must make disciples for Jesus. It's what we need to do. But it should also cause us to pause a little bit here and ask the question, what does it really mean to be and therefore to make a disciple? Because that has big implications for us too. Because not only do we want to be disciples, but we want to be the disciples who make disciples. So we've got to understand for our own sake, what exactly is Jesus asking me to do as his disciple? And then as I communicate this to other people, as I invest my life and roll my life into their lives, making other disciples, what is it that I should be telling these people to do? So this is a good moment for us to just sort of do a reset about discipleship and say, do we really need know what it means both to be a disciple and to make a disciple. Is it about education? Is this about facts and maps and figures and memory and all that kind of thing? Is it about education? Is it about emotion? Is it about helping people connect the truth of the gospel in their mind to the emotion that they feel in their hearts? Is it about emotion? Is it about commitment Is it about raising up people and ourselves and making sure that we are fully and totally committed to giving ourselves to the will of God in any and every situation? What do we really mean here when we talk about discipleship, both being a disciple and then therefore transferring that discipleship to others and making disciples? Well, there's another passage also in the Gospels, but a different one that I think gives us a very stark and clear word picture about exactly what Jesus is calling us to. And the word picture is found in Luke chapter 9. Now, as you're turning to Luke chapter 9, verse 23, I want you to get in your mind a picture of what's happening here. So, what we find in Luke chapter 9 is Jesus really at the the height of his ministry. I mean, his popularity is growing and growing and growing. The gospel records that at periods in the life of Jesus, that there were so many people pressing in on him at a given time that they felt like they were going to be crushed. They record times where the crowds are so big and so thick, he literally has to get on a boat and go out into the middle of a lake so that he can preach to all of them. So Jesus is the man of the hour. But there's a funny thing about Jesus that we find in the gospel that people were constantly urging him to take this momentum and do something with it. But Jesus always seemed to not take the momentum, but to try and stop it. He was a terrible PR guy. That when all of these crowds were coming to Jesus, people wanting to make him king to go and take Jerusalem and then Rome by force, that Jesus constantly was throwing a bucket of cold water on all of their ambition and aspiration, that he wanted people to understand exactly what they were getting themselves into if they really wanted to follow him. Such is the case of what we find in Luke chapter 9. Jesus, once again, dispersing a crowd by talking about true discipleship. So this is what he said. If anybody wants to come with me, anybody, any man, any woman, any child, 
of any race, of any background, of any socioeconomic status, of any education, of any previous religious experience, of any aptitude, of any talent from any region, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. What is a man benefited if he gains the whole world yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. What does it mean to be a disciple? Discipleship means death. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian that uh, taught in Nazi Germany during the early days of World War II, reflected on the cost of discipleship and said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Now that might not readily connect with us because we lose a little bit of the impact of Jesus' teaching because of where we are in history. The image that Jesus uses in Luke chapter 9 is the image of the cross, and we're familiar with that image by this point, you know, because we've got crosses everywhere. We've got crosses on paintings, we've got crosses on buildings, we've got crosses on earrings, crosses on necklaces, we've got crosses on bookshelves, crosses on murals, some of us have crosses even tattooed on our arms with like a really sweet tribal armband around like this. So we've got crosses everywhere. All the time, crosses, it is very familiar to us. But for the first century Palestinian who heard this teaching from Jesus, it would have been shocking because the cross was not something that you talked about in polite company. So for the crowds of people who thought following Jesus meant that they were going to get elevated to positions of power and authority, They thought that they were going to be a part of some grand movement that would establish a new government. They thought that they might get some of that miracle bread and miracle fish that other people had gotten, or that they might see a good show or some magic tricks. Jesus throws out this image of torture and gruesome death before them. See, if you were a first century Palestinian and you saw the cross, if you were standing in a town and you saw someone dragging a cross through the middle of town, you would never turn to the person next to you and say, hey, I wonder what Joe is up to this afternoon. Joe is going to die this afternoon because he is dragging the thing by which he will be publicly executed. In fact, if you wanted to put this in the vernacular of today, It would be sort of like Jesus saying to us, if anybody wants to follow me, then he must take up his electric chair. He must take up his hangman's noose. He must take up his lethal injection. Except worse, because there's never been a more torturous, agonizing, brutal form of execution devised by humankind than crucifixion. 
Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you've got to take up your life because that's what it's going to cost you. In a word then, discipleship, to be Jesus' disciple, means death. It is a willing obedience to Jesus regardless of what he asks or when he asks it. This is the call of Christ. And as we are disciples who then make disciples, we must guard against the temptation that kind of comes up inside of us to soft sell what it means to follow Jesus. We can't tone it down to try and get people in the door. If we do, we are selling short the implications of what Jesus is calling us to ourselves. And potentially, we reveal that we have a very soft idea about what following Jesus really means anyway. The call to follow Christ is a call to death. Perhaps physical death. But at least death in the sense whereby daily you give over everything, everything to Jesus. Now, we could just sort of stop right there, cut it off, let's have a band come back up here, we're going to play, and then you can walk out with that as being the message of the day. But I feel like that if we stopped there, we still might be in danger of misinterpreting what Jesus is saying here. So what I'd like to do is give you three misunderstandings about the nature of discipleship. And my hope in doing that is that we would be aware and alert for these particular misunderstandings so that we can more fully embrace and take up the call of Jesus on our lives to be his disciples who make disciples in the true fashion that Jesus wants us to. While you've been listening to Michael Kelly unpacking the scripture on discipleship, and listen, if you'd like to know more about discipleship and how to live this out in the context of your local church, go to Go to DiscipleFirst.com, DiscipleFirst.com. It's a one-stop shop for disciple-making resources. And also look for a Flashpoint conference coming to you, near you, where you can find guys like Michael Kelly, Bill Hull, Robbie Gowdy, and others that are really living this out in the context of the local church. So look for the Flashpoint conference, and you can find that information at DiscipleFirst.com. Uh, Next podcast will give you the balance of Michael's message. Until then, go make disciples.